Hello everyone, this is your host Raymond Luge and welcome to The Cross and Culture, a podcast that is all about evangelism, discipleship, and leadership in intercultural contexts. In this episode, I'm so excited to share with you an interview that I had with Dr. Shadi Azar. Dr. Azar is the director of the Middle Eastern Evangelism of the United Pentecostal Church International. In this interview that I had with him, we talked about the collectivist culture and how to reach out to people who are from this culture. And so without any further delay, here's my interview with Dr. Shadi Azar. Well, I am delighted to have Dr. Azar with us for this podcast, for this episode. And uh, this will be an interesting topic. Uh, we we were just at the Multicultural Ministry Summit in St. Louis a few weeks ago, and I was listening to his lecture about uh, individualist culture and collectivist culture. And I, I said to myself, I need to get Brother Azar and uh, let the ministers and our leaders who are striving to have a multicultural ministries in their local churches, uh, we, we, we need to listen to this. So here we are, Dr. Azar is with us, and he's a physician radiologist in the, in the state he's living in, came to the United States actually to finish that uh, internship. And uh, he was from Jordan, moved to the United States in 2007. Right now, he's the Middle Eastern Evangelism Director under the Multicultural Ministries of the United Pentecostal Church International. And he is also the MCM Coordinator for Metro District uh, Detroit. And uh, he's also the Multicultural Pastor for the Solid Rock Church of Ann Arbor. Dr. Azar, thank you for joining us in this episode. We're so glad to have you. It is my pleasure and honor to be with you, brother. So to start off this uh, podcast, this interview with you, I always ask this for all of our people that we interview. Tell us about your call to the ministry, just a little story, how we got into the ministry. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, this question, um, I thought about it when you told me um, we might discuss this, and I went back to the time that I was a kid in a Catholic church in Jordan, where I thought I was going to become a priest, and uh, that did not go through. Um, eventually, ended up in medical school and coming to the United States uh, in my third decade of age. And uh, you know, coming from a culture where Christians are a minority, uh, Christians are three percent of the population in Jordan. So when I came to the United States. I did not want to be associated with my culture. I want to become an American. You know, I'm Christian. Uh, and we um, we became part of the Solid Rock Church of Ann Arbor. Um, and Pastor Jones, you know, mentored us and uh, discipled us, me and my wife and my two kids. And we, we ended up in the church for years and years. And I was really um, trying to be very protective of my time because I spent mm. long years in, in schooling. And I did not want to do any extra work, you know, after my, my job. I want to enjoy my life. I spent 18 years of school after high school. So I was like, um, I, I was very protective of my of my life. But eventually, um, I felt like the Lord is changing my heart towards the people from the Middle East. I started seeing them as victims of their um, religious traditions as Christians and even as Muslims. They're sort of trapped in their in their faith. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, the Lord started giving me more compassion towards them. And uh, my pastor talked to me and he says, you know, I felt like the Lord is calling you and I want you to pray. So I, I, I started praying about that. And uh, the Lord gave me new desires. And, and I felt the Lord is telling me, I want you to uh, help my people. And, um, and I felt like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a helper. I'm a supporter usually. Um, and I am willing to do anything, and I've done everything in the church you can think of. Um, but I felt like this calling was a little different. It was um, to to help our people to reach my culture. Really, that's the calling I felt. Is that um, he did not bring me here just to you know have a good life and enjoy it, which I do have it. But um, he had a plan for me, and I do believe that. The way I stayed in this country was um, was miraculous. The Lord opened the door, and uh, there was no door really available for me to stay. I came for one-year training, 
mm-hmm. uh, but now I understand why I'm here. I really um, understand how the Lord took us through that whole journey, um, and I'm I'm so thankful that I know now my purpose. Wow, that's a wonderful story. So so interesting how how your pastor really became a like a important point in your in your call to the ministry. And I, I believe that uh, it is important for us to, you know, submit ourselves, put ourselves under our pastor, under the authority of our pastor. I myself was is is also an immigrant, and uh, it, there was a point that, uh, you know, doors are closing, and I, I didn't have any way to to stay or to continue even my school, but the Lord made a way because he has a purpose and I believe God has a purpose and I believe God is fulfilling that purpose in your life, brother. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the majority of this uh, interview is going to be about the collectivist culture. And so before we get into all the details and how to reach people from this culture, I would like us to maybe give me give us a definition of what is a collectivist culture and maybe cite some countries where this culture is prevailing. Um, You know, the collective community um, or societies or cultures are probably the predominant majority of humans on earth. Um, In in contrast, this is the opposite of the individualist culture. Individualist cultures actually developed um, in the last hundred years because of the wealth of uh, in certain countries. So I would include in the individualist United States, Canada, North Europe, and Australia and England. And probably these are the uh, on the spectrum, the most individualistic countries. The United States is number one in the scoring system. Um, with that, I would say the rest of the world is collective. So almost every immigrant you're going to see in North America who he, who emigrates to North America to have a better life, better income, uh, they probably came from a collective community. So um, by exclusion, I would say everybody on earth is collective except North Americans, North Europe, uh, North Europe uh, England and Australia. Now, what do we mean by collective? And I think the definition is needed because people in individualist cultures like North America, people don't see their culture. It's like you're asking the fish about water. We do not know what is mm-hmm. culture. This is how we live. This is what we used to. And so we see a difference in the people who come in from uh, uh, immigrants. And we wonder, I mean, why uh, we see this difference. The extended family will secure the protection against hardships in life. Um, and then people develop a practical and psychological dependency. Um, and that is very hard to break. And that will be very you know, important to remember when we talk about evangelism to people from collective culture. So um, I know that every generalization is false. Mm-hmm. But I think when we talk about collective cultures, it is very helpful to generalize because I'm really talking broad terms. Every Every country and within a country itself will have different cultures. Like the United States, there's a different culture in the South than the Midwest and the East Coast and the West Coast. So I'm talking really broad terms uh, and, and it doesn't apply to everyone, but it's, a, it's, it's pretty helpful. Uh, in these cultures, they value meeting the needs of others over meeting their own self. Um, collective cultures emphasize the need and the goals of the group as a whole over, you know, just for the individual and relationships with the other groups are very tight. Now, um, people from collective culture define themselves in relation to others. Let's say, um, I would say the first thing you would ask me, who are you? I'd say, well, I'm a Jordanian and this is my family. You know, I I connect you right away to where I came from. and in these cultures, what's also uh, it's a highlight to them is their communication is more indirect because they avoid conflict and they want to avoid embarrassment and they want to keep the relationships very strong. Uh, so they're very loyal to their groups and the decisions they make in their life is really based on the group, not on what they like. They compromise in favor of the group, the greater good for the group. Um, they work together, they support each other. Uh, great emphasis is placed on the goals of the family, the extended family, rather than my individual pursuit. Um, 
And uh, the rights of families and communities really come before the rights of an individual. Uh, they are uh, collective cultures also focus on relationship more than task. And that's why probably um, we are task oriented in North America, very successful. Uh, they, we bring wealth, we bring innovation. In a collective culture, this is not the case. Uh, one of the negative sides in evangelism when you reach a collective culture is that they're very exclusionist. They're actually afraid of people who are different than them. So they are really, they exclude others. If you consider you a stranger, they exclude you. They do value social harmony, though, respectfulness. and But in the same time, if, if they agree, they try to maintain superficial harmony in a sense that they don't want to confront people. So that can be also a place for gossip that can grow. Um, the central theme is that preservation and advancement of the group, uh, not on the people. And uh, you you have to be in that culture to be considered good. You have to be generous, helpful, dependable, attentive to needs of others. That will give you honor in the group. And uh, that's important for the community to stay united and selfless. Um, so these cultures, uh, cultural differences really affect every aspect of life. So when you interact with someone from that culture, it will dictate their behavior, their communication, their relationships. So understanding these is very helpful. It affects how people shop, how they dress, how they learn, how to do business. Um, so that has a big implication on the way we evangelize people from collective cultures, or in general, we can say North America, people who immigrated from other countries. Wow. Wow. I hope our listeners have some notebooks or however you want to take your notes. This is like an important information uh, about the collective culture. And uh, the reason why we ask this question is I believe if we want to reach a person, you know, sometimes you want to, you want to uh, learn more about that person, the culture and everything else. And so these are some basic information about uh, people who are immigrating to the, to the United States and Canada. And uh, I, I believe I heard this from the summit too, that uh, you know the best way to learn about that culture is actually spend time with them. And uh, so the information that we are giving you through this podcast is just some basic foundation, basic things that you need to know about the collective culture. And so you are ready to spend time and disciple this person that you're trying to reach from another culture. And so now we know all of that information. Uh, enriching in, in people from this culture, what are the most important things that you would like to point out uh, and you would like us to consider? Um, I think I'm going to spend a little more time on this because I think these are the keys that would help us connect with people from other cultures. Um, the first point I want to uh, highlight is hospitality. Mm -hmm. um, hospitality is a way that we become vulnerable to people because we open our home. And um, hospitality is practiced in the United States probably in the 50s and the 40s is different than what we do now. Uh, if you wanna have a friendship and build a friendship with someone to evangelize to them, they will need to be in your home. They need to right. invite you to their home. The reason is these cultures build trust and build friendship through um, some sort of emotional connection, not through tasks. I'll give you an example. Like if you go to a pastor in North America and I would ask him, do you trust the saint that you have? And he said, well, you know, we ask them to come to church. They come on time. They're always committed. They volunteered for Sunday school. We ask their help in an event they are. So yeah, I think I trust them. Now, if you come to somebody from Jordan like me, it doesn't matter the task that you've done and you came on time, you did anything. I want to sit with you and talk to you, open my heart and see, ask you about your family ask you about your connections, know your background, know if you're funny or not, know if you're nice or not, know if you're respectful or not, then I trust you. So hospitality is actually the environment that we build that trust. You cannot move on to build friendship without building trust with that community. And the way to do this, the vehicle to build that trust is through hospitality. Another example in American culture, hospitable family would say, hey, come in, help yourself. 
you know, there's coffee on the counter here, there's cream, there's donuts, please help yourself. Uh, that is considered in a lot of cultures, collective cultures, actually insulting in a sense that I need to serve you as my guest. I'm honoring you. I'm bringing you everything that you need to you. I'm bringing the best thing I have to you. I'll make the food for you. I'm not going to cater food. I'm going to bring it to you and, and I'm going to show you a lot of honor to show that I really respect you and I want to build a relationship with you. Of course, we have to be cautious when we invite people, let's say, from uh, Muslim tradition, Muslim faith. Um, a lot of people would not eat pork or anything with alcohol and we, even if it's mixed with the food or cooked with it, uh, nothing, no meat that is not killed really without halal way. So an easy way, if you invite a Muslim friend to your home, you can do any vegetarian dish or use fish. This is always safe. Or tell them, hey, I brought this from a Middle Eastern store. So hospitality is really the way to the heart of people from other cultures. And believe it or not, most immigrants live long life here and they never get invited to an um, American or a Canadian home. Um, and uh, and people, and I think the, the, the barrier, the cultural barrier is not like we don't care about you in North America. No, individualist cultures are very respectful of people's privacy and, and, and boundaries, and, uh, and they don't want to intrude on you. So even if they want to connect with you, they meet you outside in a coffee shop. But people interpret this as lack of interest. And you don't care about me. You don't want to connect with me. You're taking me out away from your home. So there's misinterpretation because of the difference in culture. So if you want to really speak their language, I would say hospitality and, and asking questions about their culture, their, their life, their food, it would be very, very um, a good way to start that relationship. Um, another point I want to uh, highlight quickly is hierarchy. There's a lot of respect in the collective culture to uh, hierarchy in the family, hierarchy in the community, hierarchy in the politics. So as a pastor, when you introduce yourself to someone uh, from uh, an immigrant, you sometimes in the United States and Canada, we say, hey, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is so-and-so. Uh, but they would respect when you say, I'm, I'm Reverend so-and-so. This is my card, and and I want I'm, I'm a pastor in my church. They do um, respect titles. They do this respect positions, and uh, and when they come become part of your church, then you can use actually this as a method to speak to their life because they would respect the man of God. They would accept your correction. Of course, you have to build a trust before that. One other thing I think also is a, is a potential challenge in evangelism is perception of time. Collective people believe that time belongs to nature and, and people, and they don't control it. So they might come late. So uh, we had friends who were planning a Bible study from 7 to 8. And then the families who have come from India, they show up at 7.30. And, and they felt like, I mean, they're not respecting us. They're just coming late. And, and they won't leave at 8. They would leave at 9 or 10. And, and, uh, and I start explaining to them that their perception of time is different. The Bible study in the North American culture is a task that we need to do it from to. But in their opinion, I'm to build a relationship. I'm actually not coming for the Bible study. I'm coming to be friends with you. So I might be late. And you have to find them excuses in a sense. They might have been baking a cake for you at home to bring something you know, to you, authentic something, or when to get you some flowers. So sometimes the, the way they look at time is that it's it's okay to come 30 minutes late because we're going to stay an hour or two after. Uh, that can be very frustrating for pastors who have, you know, kids who want to put to sleep or work next day. And, and that can be very frustrating. So the perception of time is different because the priority is relationship, not the task. And a lot of people coming late is trying to show you um, uh, love and compassion. Uh, when, you, when you walk in, try not to be judgmental and, and uh, assume that something happened. And what we usually do is we call and check, are you, are you okay? Are you finding the house okay? Anything happened on the way? You call to check on them rather than to tell them, you know, uh, you're late and we're almost going to be done with this. And I also recommend to pastors, do not start Bible study if not everybody arrived, even if it's late, because they will consider this disrespectful that you you don't 
the event is more important than the relationship and they would know that you're never going to be a close friend. Um, I can also talk about um, uh, the relationships and how they build friendships. And it's a really challenging uh, situation for evangelism. And so we really have to know this because this is a good key. Uh, because of interconnectedness between the collective um, uh, people, they're always busy with their relationships. They have extended family, uncles, cousins. And sometimes they, when they live, even in the North America, they still have big groups around them in certain areas. So the, sometimes you have to compete. If you are a North American, you want to connect with them. You might have to compete with all these obligations with the family. So they always have to um, prioritize family over you. And don't be offended on that because this is what they're used to. This is the culture. But it, as long as it, you're showing always interest and you're coming and you're building the relationship, it will take longer to build a friendship with a collective than with someone who is individualist. But when you do that, you actually have access to all the network that they have. So it might take you a few years to build a friendship, but when you're in, you're going to be invited to all the family events, all the weddings, all the parties, everything. And then you have access to the cousins, uncles. Um, in the United States, we usually evangelize one-on-one, -on -one, right? You reach a family, you reach a couple, right? or a person. In that culture, it will take you probably a few years, or let's say months, to connect with one person. But that's the gateway to the entire community, the entire family. And again, our purpose is not to reach every immigrant on their own. We need to reach key families, right. key people, that they will eventually reach their own community because they understand the culture of the language. We don't have to, to kind of uh, stumble through that. So our goal is to find a person of peace, mm -hmm. according to the Bible, and invest time and connect with them, see if they're open. And then when they become strong disciples, they will reach their own community. Um, one thing also I, I like to highlight is the communication style. Um, American and Canadian communication is direct, which means we don't we, we mean what we say, we say what we mean. It's clear communication. I can tell you no, I can tell you yes, and that's what it means. In collective cultures, they try to avoid offending each other. So you would you might invite me, and I'm a collective to church, and, and I would say, oh, well, I'm having family. I'm having to make dinner and do that. And um, I've, I've never tell you no. I'm not going to tell you no, I'm not coming to church because I don't want to offend you. Although you will not be offended, but I would assume you would be as a collective. So I would say everything to give you the hint indirectly that I'm not coming. But I'm also going to say, I promise next time I'll come. Um, so People will think in the United States, this is dishonest. You're trying to kind of, why don't you just answer my question? And a lot of people get frustrated reaching out of collectives that they keep lying to me. They tell me they're going to come or they tell me they might come and they don't come. Or we're going to meet and they don't meet. And I tell my, my, my uh, ministers, my colleagues, I mean, they do not want to tell you no out of respect, out of keeping the relationship. So you're going to have to they always beat around the bush. They always want to get to the point in a long way so you can get the hint. You always have to read between the lines. And it's not comfortable, uh, but, you know, and it's hard for us to get the cue. If you grow up in North America, it's hard to get these cues unless you spend time in that culture, you will get it. But uh, you sometimes have to give uh, people the um, benefit of the doubt and assume they're interested, they want to come. It's just the family ties are very strong. And uh, they always work hard to keep these connections with their family. So if you say there's a church event and there's a family event, they will feel a lot of pressure to attend a family event. The reason is uh, they will be shamed and pressured by the family to stay in that group. Why? Because the family depend on them and he and they depend on the family. So it's like you're losing part of the team. The team is essential. You want to win the game. You want to be successful. But you're losing your people to the American culture, to the ch other churches, other denominations, other religions. So the whole family is going to start putting pressure and public shame on that person to bring them back to the flock so they can feel safe and strong. So 
people have to go and work against that. And, uh, and it might take a while. You have to be patient. And again, as I said, hospitality is a vehicle to build trust. And trust is a vehicle that we use to build friendship. And the friendship definition in the collective culture is different, where people are technically uh, having either friends or acquaintances. This is it. But in the American, North American culture, you have a friend and a good friend and a very good friend and a really, really close friend, right? But in reality, uh, they have so much family. They don't need friends. Right. So if you want to become a friend, you have to be really trustworthy, somebody they, they can depend on. They can call at night. They can come to their home. I mean, you remember the parable of Jesus a friend knocking at the door of, of his friend asking for bread at night, at the middle of the night, right? That's how close you're going to be as a friend. That's, it's a, you, de I depend on you. And usually that relationship get tested. There will be a time that they would ask you, hey, can I, can you give me a ride to the airport? And you would say, I'm really working that day. I'm sorry. And that usually is the conversation. It ends there in North America. But if you really want to build a friendship with, an, with a collective, you're going to say, uh, I'm really working, but you know what? I'm going to send you my cousin. I'm, I'm going to send you my brother or someone. I'm not going to leave you. You can depend on me. And when you when you show that you're trustworthy, then you become as close as a friend, and then you're a friend of the whole family. So um, it needs patience, but it's uh, it's it, the reward is big because you connect with the rest of the group. A couple of more points um, on this topic. One is the kinship where you can see you go to uh, Michigan here, you find a lot of Middle Eastern people and they hire their um, their kids and their cousins. And it's like a family business. And you can see this in, in Chinese restaurants. You can see this in other businesses and mechanics shops. And some of it is they want to help a family. A lot of it is actually you're forced to do that because you're uncle is going to come and say, hey, my cousin, my, my son cannot find a job. I want him to work for you. And and it doesn't matter if they're good working workers or not, if they're qualified or not, you have to have them. Why? Because there's a practice of kinship. I hire my family members. First, I trust them. That's a good thing. Second thing, it brings honor to me to be able to hire my family members and have them have give them a, a job. Um, and will be shamed if you don't do that. So that is, you know, pressure that coming from the collective community over that person. So when people come in and start attending your church and they're trying to maybe change their faith or change their denomination, there's a possibility they will lose their job because they work for family members. And for that reason, as a church, you have to be ready to become their family. And to to they're going to come to you asking, Pastor, can you find me a job? And 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 this is kind of, some pastor would do it. Some people might feel like this is unusual. You know, it's not my job to find you a job. But it's, uh, they will depend on the pastors and the ministers. Uh, they look up to them and they assume that they're going to help them find a job. And I think we have to be accommodating in North America to such need. And that brings us to the last topic I want to talk about is patronage, where patrons are people who are having a reciprocal relationship with their community, but they are in a higher status and resources and power. So there's somebody in town who has the power, either political or financial. And uh, usually collective people know that there is a patron in town or in the family or in the community. And a lot of the countries also outside of here where the traditional churches are very strong, they look at the church as the patron. They look at the church to, to get find a job for their kids and hire them in a school as a school teacher or maybe give them money if they have a need and maybe give food in a, in a time of trouble. And a lot of people come in here expecting the church to be the patron, expecting the, the, um, the pastor to be a patron. And patronage in the United States is a negative word, but in the collective community, it's a practice. It's been going on for for thousands of years. There's a lot of examples in the Bible about patronage. When Lydia was a, a matron, a patron of of Paul, she funded his trips. Um, we have the Shunammite woman uh, that she was really helping out uh, the man of God, the prophet Elisha. So, all these examples of a culture 
Bible is, was written in a collective culture. This is still continuing in so many cultures, and they they accept the reciprocal relationship now between a patron and a client is that I give back loyalty. As a client, I'm loyal to my patron. And it's not buying your loyalty. They don't see it this way. They see it as it's a relationship. You give me something I don't have. You, you provide something I don't have access to. And in return, I give you back loyalty and respect. Uh, a big example that Paul used this language uh, to explain salvation. He actually said, there's a patron who is our father in heaven who gave us salvation, uh, charis, grace, for free, right? The grace is a gift of God. That salvation is free to us. But what we return back is faith. And that word in Greek is pistis. And pistis is actually means trust. We trust God as a return for his salvation. So it's a client-patron relationship. And guess who the broker of that relationship was? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus made that deal happen between us and the Father. And in the patronage system, the most insulting thing you can do to your patron is not to show loyalty and trust. And it's almost like us um, waking up in the morning. The Lord gave us breath to breathe. It gave us new life. And then we do not check with him and thank him for it and ask him, what do you want me to do today, Lord? What is my mission? I'm, I'm loyal. I want to spread the word that how good you are. And I want, to, I want to show loyalty to you. Tell me what I need to do for you, and I will do it happily. So um, patronage is a strong biblical uh, principle, and it is still used in the collective culture. And I think understanding it, finding it in the Bible would help us a lot, connect with people from that culture, and also manage their expectations, because they will come to you assuming you're a patron now in their life, especially if their family cut them off for going to your church or for becoming you know, apostolic, there's a price to be paid, and they're going to cut all patronage help for that person and he's seeking for another patron in their life and and that can be uh, actually an opportunity for us to be a patron start with giving some gifts and 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 giving them um help and support by you know a job a place to stay and we will get their unquestioning loyalty forever because they will be very loyal and um and i and i think uh, my church did the same to me as an immigrant uh, they embraced us, they helped us, they supported us. They, and, and that brought us to the point that we trust this church and we're going to stay here. We're very loyal. And, um, and that they've done it just by the guidance of the Holy Ghost, not knowing our culture. But that, that act of, of kindness and of love, which is genuine, I saw it as patronage and I'm responding back in loyalty. Wow, that's wonderful. And the last thing that you mentioned reminds me of uh, there was a uh, an immigrant when I was in the conference in Montreal and, and I wasn't able to uh, really communicate with the person because uh, she's French from an African-speaking country. And uh, I mean, a French-speaking country in Africa. And so uh, I was just you know, trying to communicate and she, she mentioned that you know, I appreciate that, uh, that you're trying to do this. And she said that uh, love is like a universal language that everybody understands. And uh, it's something that people could see. Sometimes you can't speak the language. You can't, you can't probably communicate very well. But, but love is something that they will feel and they will understand. And so that's, that's very wonderful. Uh, all the points were, were so great. It reminds me of uh, also, I think it was your wife who mentioned something about a statistic of uh, international students. I believe it's over 70%. Is, is that right? Over 70% of international students where they go home to back to their countries without being invited to a North American home. Correct. Uh, yeah. If you include churches, it's even more. Probably 90% never been invited to a church. Wow. So I took notes of that and I actually shared that to our church leadership team. And I said, this is like a very, very important thing to notice and uh, we should do something better at this. And so uh, hospitality is great. 
it's a very big thing in uh, reaching out to immigrants like us. And so I believe your wife also at the at the summit mentioned something about in a verse, I believe it's, it's in First Timothy, uh, the uh, qualifications of a bishop. Yes. Uh, that you have the uh, hospitable and then apt to teach. Yes. We do a lot of training, you know, how to preach good, how to teach good. But the first qualification that I believe God is looking for is, are we hospitable first before we are able to teach? And so because of the difference between the collective culture and the individualist culture, you know, there might be some difficulties or friction or challenges. So do you mind telling us some or a few of the challenges that someone from North America would would face or would encounter in reaching to a collective culture? And how, how do you think could we overcome those challenges? A great question. I think the um, I got to see in, in North America that the cultural barrier is actually bigger than the language barrier. Um, you might have something different in Canada, given there's two main languages, but uh, in the U.S. at least, I see that the culture barrier is much bigger because most immigrants can manage to communicate in English somehow. Uh, one of the challenges that we have is that we come in with an assumption, um, and I, I'm speaking we as an American, um, we come with an assumption. We look at someone and we say, hey, are you from this country? Are you so-and-so? And, -so? and uh, a lot of times we're wrong. And when we are wrong, it's actually, it can offend people. So uh, first, my, my, my main point, I would say, uh, do not assume, ask questions. Ask questions about the people around you. I see a lot of my American friends, and they're always loving to others. And they come and say, well, I have this colleague at work, and I, I'm not sure he's India or Pakistan origin. And, and I'm trying to figure out if he's Hindu or Muslim, Christian, or and I keep telling them, why don't you ask them? Because people are open to tell you, and uh, they don't think that you're intrusive. So American uh, North American culture is very respectful of privacy, and they do not want to question people. They consider this intrusive, but the other people are consider this disinterest. But when you ask me about my culture, I'm happy to tell you about my history, my food, ge geography, what we do. I, I want to share that with you. And I can tell you that um, if we start asking questions, uh, honestly, people will not be offended, will be happy. They will enjoy uh, telling us that. So I think a biggest barrier is the culture. And the easy way to bypass that is to ask questions and learn from people about their culture. Tell me about your food, where you buy it, how you do it, how do you gather, what do you do in Christmas, what do you do in Thanksgiving? Um, so the other thing I think is important for us to um, to reach out is to know the difference between our culture and the church culture. Because sometimes we would invite, let's say, a Hindu friend, and, and they would come in with traditional dress that we considered immodest, right? And, and we try sometimes to do things in our uh, church. Um, we do not know that these are actually American culture, not biblical culture. I always give this example. So the, the, the New Testament, Paul would say, when you gather together, greet each other with a holy kiss, right? We do not do that in the North American culture because it's just not, not the tradition. Are we breaking, you know, the biblical teaching? No, I mean, it was, it was something that they did in that culture. So as long as we see differences between our church culture and the other culture, um, we have to check, is this our North American practice or this is really biblical? I cannot hold people in a standard of North American culture because this is what we do here. I need to bring everyone to a biblical culture. And if I see people doing something that you know against the Bible, then I have to correct them. I have to tell them what the Bible teaches. But if they're doing something that is against my church culture or North American culture, then I have to tolerate that until they get grounded and they, they follow the biblical teachings. And I think um, Brother Bernard mentioned this example in North Korea, in South Korea, that he said people are very reserved. They don't clap. And, and they, they accused the missionary, his parents, that they wanted to actually 
to make them American in the way they worship. And they said, no, this is what the Bible says. Clap your hands, you people. I mean, shout for the fullest of triumph. Now they all follow that biblical culture. They worship in the South Korean church uh, like we do, maybe more. So we have to be aware that we do have a culture. We might not know what it is, but we have to be aware whenever we see somebody coming from a different place, we have to be aware. Let's say you have a Native American and they have long hair. You cannot ask him in a couple of weeks, hey, uh, you need to cut your hair. I mean, you, this is a different, this is identity. You have to be cautious how to approach this. Eventually, they have to follow the biblical teaching, but you have to be more patient with them. Now, um, the other thing is loyalty to the family. I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind, uh, this is a challenge when we reach out to people from other cultures. We have to be patient. Uh, they might not show up in every event. They might not be there when we need them. They might not be there. Uh, they have to make changes for their schedule. Um, my church was flexible with us. We bring my, when my mother-in-law come and visit, she comes in, I translate to her. I'm, I'm probably annoying some people behind me, but people are loving and accepting. So you have always to, to know that I cannot attend a church potluck because there's an event for the family. I, I cannot be there. And if my guest does not want to go to church with me, I might have to stay home. So we have to always be aware that the connection of a collective and immigrant to their families actually need to be preserved if it's healthy, because that's the way they would reach them. We do not want to disconnect them completely from their community. They are going to be the people who get there. So we have to, to be cautious, only focus on biblical things. You know, you don't, you don't drink there. You don't do this. You don't go there. But whenever you can, connect with your family so you can win them. And uh, we have to be flexible. We cannot treat them like every other North American who comes into church. Um, I think these are the main points uh, I would say that are challenges for people to reach. Um, and overcoming them is mostly uh, by following the guidance of the Holy Ghost and spending time learning about the culture from the same person. I'm not suggesting you go buy a book or you watch online or get a course. No. I mean, it, it, let's let's uh, start an inquiry of the culture through the person you want to reach because you're not interested in in their culture back home. You're interested in his culture here because it's sometimes a blend of both. Uh, like my children, I would call them half American, half Middle Eastern. Their kids will be probably fully American, but for now, my kids are not completely American. And the way they're going to interact with people is going to be different. I hope everybody will be patient with them. Wonderful. So uh, wonderful thoughts and insights that you've mentioned to us and reminds me of, uh, you know, I used to be so because of all the things that I don't know in this uh, culture that I'm there, there are most of the friends that I have that I'm trying to reach right now, actually. And so uh, at first I was so hesitant because oh I, I don't even know anything. It's like, what if I say something wrong? What if, you know, what if uh, I do something that will offend them and their religion? And so there was a point that I actually don't want to just do anything about it. And so I remember praying because I was looking into books and stuff. And it's just, I said, this is too much information and I just don't want to do anything about it. And so I was just praying and then God reminded me, you know, we have, we have the Holy Spirit. Two things that he mentioned when I was praying, you know, you, you have the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, depend on the, the leading of the Holy Ghost, like what you have mentioned about your pastor. Maybe sometimes they don't know what really, what they were really doing at that point but it was the leading of the holy ghost as what that was important there and so and and then second why don't you just ask questions and so after that i just uh, they invited me over uh like a religious uh feast that they did and, and then i started asking questions and they were so happy just telling me about what they believe and and from that i was so encouraged and uh, I was I was also very happy because a couple of days ago, this person actually started talking about uh, asking about Jesus Christ, asking about my belief, asking about our church, and he he was asking about how he wanted to quit this addiction, and and he said he never found found anybody 
who quit like in just one day in one click it was all gone but he said he he, he knew some christians who used to be addicted to some things and it, in just a moment it was all gone and so now I'm, I'm i'm getting into that and that open door and and hoping that god will do something about it and so that's so wonderful and uh you know, in our journey reaching to other cultures, you know, there are, yes, there are blessings for our church, but individually as an individual disciple of Jesus Christ, as an individual minister, I believe that multicultural ministries enrich us. You know, it does something to us that that's beyond, you know, what maybe like a mono monocultural uh, church would would give or monocultural evangelism would give so to you as an individual or uh as a minister what how how does multicultural ministries enrich you you know the um i i didn't know about multicultural ministries before 2019 unfortunately i wasn't um i didn't know that it existed and i was so happy to know that uh, upci have been having this initiative for more than almost 28 years or so. So um, the amount of, um, you know, expertise I was tapping into through Brother Hanscom, Brother Chavis, and just learning from them, it just gave me a complete different perspective of evangelism, really. And it also showed me that I do have an advantage if I am from a different, from a certain culture to reach my own people. And that renewed the burden in me to reach my own people. And then, um, although we don't have a lot of Arabic-speaking pastors in the UPCI in North America, I think it's only two, um, we, we, we really need to train everyone that we know that he's willing to and interested to reach our community. I think we're in a phase where um, uh, it, it directed me to the point that I, I need to equip Every pastor who is who has Middle Eastern people or immigrants around them, with all the cultural knowledge and the tips that we talked about today, and that kind of enriched me personally because now I'm learning about my culture. First, I understand my culture now. In the past, I did not because it was just you know, this is how we do it, and I don't know why. And now I understand uh, when I interact with people in North America, that what they told me in the past was not offensive. They were not really trying to offend me. They just said it because they're honest about it. So it it made me reassess personally all my previous relationships um, and gave me a new burden to my own people. And I found out that, that I have something coming here. I have something useful to my fellow ministers that I need to share with them and spend all my effort and time to equip them and equip the saints in the churches, um, especially in my district here as well, because we have one of the largest Middle Eastern immigrant groups in outside of the Arab world. It's in, in Dearborn, Michigan. So I felt like this is my new purpose now. And I know why the Lord brought me here. And I know why the Lord is giving me um, this connection with MCM, because I have something to give. So really, uh, multicultural ministries, um, I wouldn't say just enriched me. It's just directed me completely to a new uh, direction in ministry. Um, I can also say that uh, we're trying to help the missionaries in the Middle East as well. Whatever material we're trying to to bring in in English or in Arabic, we're sharing with them. And I, I want to also encourage people that I felt uh, working with multicultural ministries, the impact is eternal and we all understand that every soul but it's also the impact can be global because when you reach someone from a different culture you're actually giving an access to their country in a sense we have almost 30 countries that are access challenge nations and we do not have easy access to spread the gospel but there are people from these countries who live among us in north america and reaching out to them i felt I mean, I need to reach them out because they can go back to their home countries uh, uh, without me sending a missionary. They can have the same, the passport, the language, the culture, and they can go and start the work. And um, And I feel like it also gave me a, a, an encouragement to see that we are going to make a global difference just by being in North America. We're going to be missionaries th throughout the world without leaving our towns. And I think it's... Um, 
it, it just um, had a huge impact on me. That's very wonderful, brother. And I, I believe the same thing. I believe that when we reach out to these people and eventually if or when they when they go back home to their own countries, respective countries, they're going to make an impact. And that's what we're that's what we're hoping. And I have heard many stories of how that happened. And uh, when they went back to their countries, they just won their whole family to the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, send a missionary to that place. And it just the, the work of the Lord grew just because of somebody who reached from North America, who reached out to the same to these people who came from that country into the United States and Canada. And so I believe that uh, global revival in North America. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And so uh, the th this is wonderful, and uh, I usually do this to all the people that we interview. We just kind of like give you like the final word that you would like to share, whatever is uh, in your heart that you would like to share to our listeners. Um, thank you, brother. Uh, a couple of thoughts came to mind that I did not cover, but... Uh... One is that when we when we gather in our churches and we have fellowship, uh, a Greek term kononia, uh, we get together and we we talk about the Lord and we we connect with each other. But the term hospitality, is reading the Greek, is philo xenos, which is love for strangers. And I think we can do better as a church in being hospitable. And a lot of people think if I'm inviting my church family home, I'm hospitable. And, and the biblical definition really has to be a stranger. And, um, and I think pastors are also tasked to do that. I think the leaders um, have to start with that. And as you said in, in Timothy, um, the, uh, Paul was telling Timothy that they need to be hospitable, apt to teaching. And if you follow the law first mentioned, it seems like where is the setting that you're going to testify and teach? It's going to be in a context of hospitality, you have to sit with them somewhere, hopefully in your home or their home. And um, so I think we have to revive this, especially we need to focus on it in individualist culture that does not come naturally. And, and I think uh, um, we have to push ourselves out of our comfort zone to be hospitable so we can connect with people because it's a, it's a, biblical, it's a biblical requirement. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22 that I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So somebody might think in their mind, I mean, this is too challenging. I don't need to do this. We're going to wait and see. They might come. But I can tell you, people from other cultures are not going to walk into your church without effort, without making a change. And I can tell you, if Paul who was the messenger to the rest of the world, he said that he had to become all things to all people. He had to adjust his methods between reaching out to people in Ephesus to people in Athens. It's on us to find a way to connect with people. It is not on them to come and change their culture to get saved. It is never required that a person in the Bible, that they have to change their culture so, to be saved. There is no exception from the great command and the great commission that we need to love everyone as ourselves and to reach all nations and all nations in that sense is all ethnicities and ethnicities is even broader term than, than race. You know, when you talk race, it's biology, you know, different physical traits, but when you talk ethnicity, it's tech, it's your cultural identity. So you can be any race, but have a certain ethnicity. And with that ethnicity means you have a different culture. So to reach that person, I need to figure out how to connect with this culture. Um, we cannot have a multicultural revival, which I believe is the is the future of the UPCI in North America, without really making an effort like Paul did to understand the culture, to spend time with the culture, to to connect with that culture, so we can win people. Uh, Middle Eastern and immigrants in general, you're, they're not going to be one with a flyer. They're not going to be one by a Facebook ad. We have to change the methods. We have to build friendship and trust. Then, as you said, 
they will start opening up the topic of religion because religion is not just something that we do one day a week. Most collective people, religion is part of life. Uh, it will come up all the time. So some friends of mine would say, well, I have a Muslim friend and I don't know how to open the topic with him. He said, you don't have to, they will. Because for them, religion is a daily thing. And if they see you faithful and they see that you have the power of God in your life, they want to know what you have. They want to get to know it. You don't have to make a lot of effort. As long as you focus on building trust and friendship, everything else will come in. The hungry will show himself. The needy will show themselves. The Holy Ghost will guide you, give the right words to say. And, and I also give a big advice to people, say, you do not have to convert and then disciple. You can disciple people before they convert, because conversion have a huge price in a lot of cultures. You lose the family, and you do not want them to lose their family connection, because this is how they're going to reach them. So you don't have to post on social media to show victory that we want somebody from that religion or that culture, because that might actually affect their their relationship with the extended family. So we have to be open to the idea that we need to disciple people in their home or or my home. And we don't have to give this a Bible study title. We always say, hey, can I give you a Bible study? I encourage everybody with for immigrants, don't tell them that. I just want to come and hang out with you. I want to, want to visit you. Um, and then the topic will come. And then every visit is actually going to be an opportunity to share about your life, what God did in your life, the gospel. And we don't have to give it a title. We don't have to have a, a chart. Uh, you just speak to the heart. They are not into lessons. They want to know how God changed you. They want to know person that they trust and the story. And they follow that. And so all this context happened. Um, all, all this communication and, and sharing the gospel happened in the context of a fellowship or a hospitality if they're strangers to you. And, and that connection is going to be long-lasting, and it will build a trust. Um, that will carry them through the hard time that they will go through when they leave their denomination or their religion, because they will pay a price. The price is different than an, a Baptist walking to an apostolic church. The price could be their job, their, their, their life in cer certain religions, um, their future connections, their, the prospect of their children getting married, all these things are on, on, on the table for them. And you, we have to be very sensitive, uh, very accommodating, very patient, and focus on the harvest that's going to come through them. Uh, don't get discouraged if you're not winning 10 you know, different um, people from other cultures. You only need to win few and they will reach out to their community so i encourage everyone every pastor every minister you need to show uh, how what you do by example to your to your church uh everybody's going to be hesitant to do it but it's when they see the leaders doing it they will follow suit and and you will see the revival that you we've been praying for wonderful thank you dr azar this is uh, very insightful and I appreciate your ministry. I believe God is really using you to bless the United Pentecostal Church through your multicultural ministries. And we, we appreciate that. And uh, just in closing, uh, would you mind praying over uh, our listeners? Pray a blessing to them. Uh, thank you, Brother Raymond, for giving me this opportunity to share uh, my burden and also to close with a prayer. Uh, I appreciate you very much. I appreciate the word I heard from you in the summit. I I will remember it for a long time. And I think uh, uh, your ministry through the podcast is going to touch so many souls. I'm excited for it. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for this time together. Jesus, I pray that everything that we've said today, Lord, will, will go into the heart and mind of the ministers and the saints in the listening to this. Lord, I pray that you activate this at the time of need. Lord, I pray you give us a burden for the lost souls around us. Lord God, I pray you give us a special anointing and a special burden for the people from other cultures, Lord. Lord, they are lost. You died for them. The, the value of their souls is the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Lord, I, I, I want to confess that I bypassed them in the past. 
that I ignored them because I did not want to be involved and I did not want to spend so much time and effort. Lord, I ask you that you forgive me for what I did. And I pray, God, that you give us the, the blessing, the grace, and the power, and the wisdom that we need to reach out to these people. These are your people. You died for them. And I, I guarantee, Lord, that um, for every listener today, that they will notice, they will feel the power of God in their life moving when they're starting to reach out. I know because I experienced it. I pray, God, that you would fill them with your spirit, with your power, and I pray, God, you give them the grace to do it with a joyful heart. So thankful for this opportunity, God, to speak to your people, and I give you all the glory and all the honor. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Azar. God bless you. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Thank you.